If you could open your Bibles to Luke uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Uh, Verses 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake at just, now whatever that says there. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let, the nets, let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for this day that you've given us to gather here and to worship you. Thankful for the the music, uh, the praise that we can sing to you, and um, just open our hearts as Pastor brings your word. Uh, Help us to um, gain understanding and to um, just to realize all that you are and all that you do for us every single day, Lord. And uh, just pray that when we go here, we give you all the praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. So the aim of this sermon is to help us, to help you know what it means uh, to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be a disciple, to learn from him, to look like him, to live for him. So that's the aim, uh, that we all know what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, It's a very, very important message, very uh, important to the life and work of Jesus Christ, uh, just to know what it means to be a disciple. We use that word a lot. What's that mean? What's it mean to follow him, to look like him, to, to live for him? More than that, it's also a message to help you see that uh, being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only thing worth doing in life, and that any, any life not lived following after him is a wasted life. You see, a common, a common myth uh, that's, that's in our culture, and you guys encounter this, this, this myth all the time, is this idea that if, if you want to be happy, if you want satisfaction and fulfillment and peace in life, then you need to do what? You need to live for yourself. Uh, you need to be focused on yourself, that uh, you need to make yourself the center of the universe. 
in order to be fulfilled, right? That's, that's the common mantra, the common teaching, the repeated refrain, the chorus of the world in which we live. And uh, biblically, nothing could be farther from the truth. In fact, I would say to you that if you want to be miserable, if that's your goal in life, to be miserable, then make yourself the center of the universe. Right? The more you think about yourself and focus on yourself, the more miserable you're going to be. And I think if you just think about your life experiences, that bears out in a lot of ways. The path to freedom, the path to a life of fulfillment and satisfaction and joy is not found in living for yourself. The truth is, it's not about you, and it's not about me. The business of life, the focus of life, is the Lord Jesus Christ and following hard after him. The business of life is far, far greater than your own personal fulfillment. It's far, far greater than your own personal satisfaction, your own peace of mind, your, your career, your, your whatever. Uh, the greatest satisfaction, the real business of life is following hard after Jesus Christ. So what does that mean, to follow Jesus? What's that mean to be a disciple? That's what we're exploring this morning. And if you have the bulletin, I hope you have one of those. And in there is the outline if you want to follow that way. Uh, there's a number of points. Uh, they all start with T for whatever reason. That's just how it worked as I thought through it in my own mind. And it helps me remember as I seek to uh, bring it out. But what does it mean to follow Christ? Well, the first thing it means is you treasure Christ. You treasure Christ. And by treasuring Christ, what I mean by that is you delight in Him, you find in Him your ultimate worth, your ultimate joy, your ultimate peace, uh, that, that in Christ and in Christ alone your soul is consumed, uh, and you're consumed by Him, you want to know Him more, uh, and you want to know and rejoice uh, that He is more precious than anything this world has to offer. That's what's meant by treasuring Christ. And as we make our way through Luke chapter 5, we see several reasons to treasure Christ. And the first reason why is he's gracious. He's very, very gracious. And just notice the setting in our text. Uh, there's this big crowd. Remember, Jesus is in the region of Galilee, and he's traveling, he's preaching, and he's teaching. He's healing, he's casting out demons, he's showing his authority over all of these things, and his popularity is growing, and so mass crowds are following him. And in this situation, the crowd is so big, and he's by the lake of Genesaret. Andy, where are you? That's how you say that, Genesaret. Say that ten times fast, Andy. Come on, where'd you go? There he is. Genesaret, 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 which is also known as the Lake of Galilee. Oh, that's easier to say, right, Andy? Galilee. <laughs> oh, so that's, that's where he is, and he, he feels pressed in, and so the Lord Jesus notices there's a couple of boats sitting there, and there's Simon Peter with a couple other disciples mending their nets, and Jesus gets into to the boat uh, that becomes his pulpit, and uh, the water becomes his sound system, right? It's kind of an amphitheater setting, and he proclaims the word while sitting in Simon's boat. And as you can kind of make your way through Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, uh, you can see that while James and John are there, uh, that Jesus really sings, uh, singles out Simon. He really focuses in on Simon. So, so verse 3 uh, says, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. And then verse 4, when he finished speaking, he said to Simon. And then dropping down to verse 10, his, he said to Simon. Again, James and John are there, but he says to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching 
men. Uh, so the focus is on Simon. And, and my point there, and I think part of the point the Scripture is bringing out there, is how Jesus is taking the initiative. And Jesus is showing grace, and he's, he's going out of his way to pursue Simon. Simon isn't looking for Jesus at this point, right? Simon, Simon Peter, he's, he's minding his own business, right? He's, he's been out all night fishing, his nets need mending, so he's, he's sitting there do, doing his thing. He's, he's mending, mending the nets. He's washing the nights after that long night. He's, again, minding his own business. But, but here comes Jesus borrowing his boat, asking him to put out a little from the land so he can use it as a pulpit, and, and then telling Peter to push it out into the deep uh, so that they can let down their nets for a catch. And so I hope what you're seeing there is how Jesus, again, takes initiative. Jesus sought Simon Peter out. He focused in on him. And it's crucial that we see that following Jesus is a response to his grace. And it's, it's God's grace that calls us out of our sin to, to follow after him. And it's, it's God's grace that motivates us and sustains us. So Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. In 1 John we read that we love God, Why? Because God loved us first. In John 15, Jesus says to his disciples, you guys didn't choose me, I chose you. And there are multiple examples of that as you, as you make your way through Scripture, that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And it's, it's the call and the grace of Jesus seeking us out that prompts us to respond and that unleashes us to serve him. And I would say that I am standing here right now this morning, not because of anything about me or not because I merit it or I deserve it. I infinitely don't deserve it. I'm, I'm standing here today as, as, as a preacher of God's word and a shepherd of, or an under-shepherd of, of the Lord's flock because of the grace of Jesus. I mean, if you knew me 20-whatever years ago, I guess a little bit even more than that, but even 20 years ago, you would never, ever, ever, ever bet money that I would be standing here this morning. I was living my hell-bound race. I was far from the Lord, wanted nothing to do with, with, with Christianity. I was very antagonistic to any of it. Uh, but the Lord in His grace sought me out. The Lord in His grace uh, drew near to me there was nothing about me uh, to compel him to come to me, as I said, just, just the opposite. But Jesus took that initiative. He crashed into my life very undeservedly. He sought me out. He folded me into his mission and purposes. And it all starts there, his grace. And if you're here this morning trusting in him, that's because of his grace and his initiative in seeking you out. And that's stunning. But he's not just gracious. As we look at our text, we see that Jesus is sovereign. Jesus finishes his message. He says to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon obeys. And you just heard it. What happens? It says the nets, there's, there's so much fish, the nets start to do what? Start to burst. They start to break. And the boats, there's so many boats that Simon, or so, many, so much fish that Simon has to call over his partners, James and John. They fill the boats and the boats start to what? They start to sink. And what we're seeing here about Jesus is he is sovereign. He has authority, not just over, remember from a couple weeks ago, not just over demons and sickness. He, his teaching isn't just authoritative. He has authority over nature. 
And so we read in John chapter 1, verse 3, that all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And Colossians 1.16 says about our Lord that by him all things were created. And what is more that the scriptures say that he didn't just create all things and then just kind of leave the world to kind of unwind however it unwinds. No, the Lord is intricately involved with his creation. And Matthew 10 verse 29 says that Jesus knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. And Hebrews 4.13 says there is no creature hidden in his sight. He sees all. He knows all. Jesus created the fish. He knows where the fish are, and he directs the fish into the net, so much so that, again, they start to break, and the boats start to sink. Jesus is sovereign. He's gracious, and he's sovereign. And more than that, he's holy. How does Peter respond to that miracle, the miracle of the boat starting to sink, that heavy payload of fish? Well, Peter is instantly overwhelmed with the holiness of Christ, and his own what? Sinfulness. He cries out in verse 8, says, When Simon Peter saw it, saw the miracle, he, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I think what's happening there is, is Peter realizes that the one who sees the depths of the seas and where the fish are, without, without the, the scanner, right, that modern-day boats have, Jesus sees in there, he knows where the fish are. Just as he's able to do that, he also is able to see the inner depths of our hearts. Peter feels exposed. Peter recognizes his sin. He knows he's in the presence of God. And uh, like Abraham and Job and Isaiah and many others before him, he cries out, basically, woe is me. Depart from me. I am sinful. I'm unworthy of being in your presence. But thankfully, Jesus' response, again, is full of grace. Jesus' response to Peter crying out, Depart from me, for I am sinful, O Lord, is to say to him at the end of verse 10, amazing words, to do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. That's grace, right? That's tender, compassionate grace. Do not be afraid. Then he gives him a new mission. You're going to go uh, be a disciple maker. So this, this is the Jesus to treasure this is the Jesus uh, that should thrill our hearts and should unleash us uh, to want to follow hard after him. He is gracious. He is sovereign. And he is so, so holy. Knowing that, we want to take Jesus at his word. Look at verses 4 and 5. In verses 4 and 5, it says, When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, And I would have loved to have been there and seen the look on Peter's face when he says, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. Right? Can, can you kind of see the look on his face? Maybe even a little more as, as, as I try and build this a little bit. Jesus was not a fisherman. Jesus is a, a preacher and a teacher and a healer. He's not a fisherman. Peter is a master fisherman, right? He's a master fisherman. It's been his life's work. This, this would be like uh, me going to some of the businessmen in our church 
like maybe Kevin or, or Bill or, or Kurt or some others, and trying to tell them that they're doing it wrong and, they, and, and talk to them about the inner intricacies of, of business, right? Or this would be like me trying to tell Dave Stout or Josiah how to run the soundboard back there. I don't know anything about that. But it'd be like me going back there and saying, look, th this is the inner, inner intricacies of these things. This is how you need to do it. I expect it to be done this way. It needs to be done this way. Be crazy, right? Not, on, not only that, but the conditions are all wrong for fishing with nets in the deep. So, so Peter responds, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. As, as I studied this and looked into this, I, I found out, because again, I'm not a fisherman, I don't know anything about this stuff, that in that region, fishing is done in the nighttime. And apparently it was done in the shallows. Fishing was never done in the daytime, especially not in the deep with nets. And so when, when Peter replies, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, his point is basically saying, look, we've been out all night fishing at prime time and we caught nothing and you're telling us to go out there into the deep with nets and try and catch these fish. We're tired, we're discouraged, we've just finished washing and mending our nets, right? This is crazy. Makes no sense. It's, it's foolish to go out and fish right now. And, and, and don't forget this, too, as I, as I thought about this, that there's big, massive crowds around, and they all know that to go out into the deep and fish right now is ludicrous, right? So there's, there's even the peer pressure, right? That Peter's going to look foolish. So Jesus puts Peter in a difficult spot, and it's, it's asking him to do about the last thing on earth he would ever want to do, but and I love, and I mean, I, I absolutely love, and I, I hope this is true of my heart, that I would be able to say this when it says in verse 5 that, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but what? At your word. But at your word, I will let down the nets. We know what happens next, a great miracle. The nets burst, the boats start to sink. Man, doesn't that encourage your faith? Maybe even here this morning, there, there are some things in Scripture that uh, confuse you, you can't quite get your mind around, or there's some doubts and uncertainties that, that you have, and that's okay. And what we see from Peter is with those doubts and uncertainties, you just need to take them to Scripture and say, you know what, I don't quite get it, but at your word, I'm going to listen and I'm going to obey. That's exactly what Jesus wants from Peter. That's exactly what he wants from us, to drop everything and throw yourself on the authority of God's Word. Experience, wisdom, reason might say otherwise, but a follower of Jesus Christ holds to this one thing, the Word of God. Amen? Even though people might laugh at you or scorn you or, or jeer at you, you must hold firmly to this one thing, the Word of God. Take God at His Word. His Word takes precedence over experience. His Word takes precedence over knowledge. We must not deviate from His Word. We, we must not seek to water it down or modify it or add to it or subtract from it. We must throw ourselves upon the Word of the Lord. Why wouldn't we? 
The word of the Lord is the most powerful thing in the universe. Nets bursting with fish at the word of Jesus. Boats sinking from so many fish at the word of Jesus. That's, that's the significance of this miracle. One, one commentator, I, I love how they put it, they, thinking on this verse, they said, this miracle was, quote, an ocular demonstration of the unseen power and success of the word. In other words, he's saying this, this miracle makes visible what otherwise was invisible. In other words, when, when Jesus was using Simon's boat as a pulpit and proclaiming God's word, we couldn't see what was happening, but as Jesus was teaching the word, hearts were being broken and, and sins were being forgiven and, and moved as far as the east is from the west. The, the word of God was doing a mighty work in the hearts of those who heard it. Again, we couldn't see that, right? Simon couldn't see that. James and John couldn't see that. But this miracle that Jesus performs when, when he calls them out there, it's an ocular demonstration. It makes visible what otherwise is invisible to see that God's word is powerful and that God's word does not return void and that God's word is always at work and thus we must throw ourselves upon it even again if wisdom and reason and experience says otherwise no we say this at your word at your word I will obey and we say that again because that's the most powerful thing in the universe it's at the word of God the heavens were created. It's at the word of God that the heavens and earth weren't just created, but they were filled with life. We read other places in Scripture that it's at the word of God that the winds blow. It's at the word of God that nations rise and crumble. It's at the word of God that these things happen the word is powerful. And so a follower of Jesus, a true follower of Jesus, takes him at his word and says, at your word, I will obey. At your word, I will forgive the unforgivable. At your word, I will love the unlovable. And at your word, I will tell others about Jesus. And at your word, I will remain steadfast under this trial. And at your word, I will give thanks. And at your word, I will pray. And at your word, it just should guide all things. That's a follower of Jesus Christ. Another aspect of a follower of Jesus Christ is not just that he takes God at his word, but he turns from sin. He turns from his sin. We saw this briefly already in verse 8. Jesus performs a miracle. Simon Peter responds, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. What is that? That's humble repentance. That's humble repentance despite the danger because the boats are doing what? They're sinking. And Peter is so overwhelmed at the majesty and the holiness of Christ and his own unworthiness and sinfulness that he forgets the danger that he's in and he falls at his knees and cries out in humble repentance, depart from me. That's pretty amazing. You need to know that if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you need to repent. You need to turn from your sin. You need to say with Peter, I am a sinful man, or I'm a sinful woman. I'm a sinful boy. I'm a sinful girl. You must see Jesus for who he really is, the Lord of all, robed in power and majesty. But you must also see him 
not just with dread, but with love and compassion, and hear him saying to you, do not be afraid. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came to deal with your sin. Jesus came to take the penalty for your sin. He died a sinner's death on the cross that by faith and repentance in him we might know his forgiveness. We might be declared righteous in his sight. So often with our sin, we, we want to run away from Jesus and we think he wants nothing to do with us with our sin. We, we want to push Jesus away, but what we see from our text is, again, when, when Christ sees your sin and you come to him in humble repentance, he embraces you and he forgives you. Don't push Jesus away. Run to him with your sin. Don't, don't try and cover your sin up or excuse your sin. Run to Jesus with your sin and he will cleanse you, and he will forgive you. He will make you a follower of him. So that's what a disciple does. A disciple takes his sin, gives it to Jesus, and trusts him to deal with it righteously. Not just that, a follower of Jesus tells others about Jesus. And why wouldn't we? You're forgiven of your sin. You see the majesty of Christ. You see his holiness and his wonder and his grace and his sovereignty? It should be all that we can do to get people to stop us to stop talking about him, right? We should constantly be talking about him. So, so, so look at verse 10, and we, we see this new commission that, that Jesus gives his life, gives the life of Simon, where he says, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be doing what? Catching men. Jesus is calling Peter to be a fisherman who rescues people from the danger of sin and brings them safely to salvation in Jesus Christ. You know, I was thinking about this, and I know we have some fishermen in our midst. This, this gives a whole new meaning to catch and release, right? A whole new meaning uh, to catch and release. Because what we are to do, what Peter was to do as fishers of men, is we are to catch them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in catching them, they are what? They're released. They're released from their sin, and they're set free from a life of sinful, selfish pursuit and a life of freedom in pursuing the glory and the majesty of Christ. Catch and release. Catch and release. The best picture of Peter doing this, of course, is if you remember uh, not too many years later on, on the day of Pentecost, uh, Peter throws wide the net by the power of the Spirit, and 3,000 come to faith and repentance on the day of Pentecost. And the rub here, again, is this isn't just a calling for Peter. This is a calling for all who name the name of Christ. Telling others about Jesus should be ordinary in our lives. And again, just, just to emphasize it again, of course it should be because we know our sin. We say with Peter, man, depart from me. We, we know the, the, the deepness and, and the wickedness and the heinousness of our sin. And in knowing that, we know the deep grace and love and forgiveness of our Savior. And knowing that compels us to want to go out and tell the world about the Savior. We want to catch and release. We want them to be released from bondage to sin and to know the forgiveness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. This is our calling. This is my calling. This is your calling as a believer in Christ. If you name the name of Christ, you are to be telling others about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that can happen in, in a lot of different ways. It, it means inviting friends to church. It means praying for people 
in need of Jesus. I hope everyone in here has a list of people who you who know are, are far from Christ, are lost in their sins. I hope you pray for them regularly, and I hope you pray that the Lord gives you opportunity uh, to speak the truth and love to them. We all need to be praying for the lost. It means you also need to be ready to share the gospel. Are you ready to share the gospel? Are you ready at a moment's notice? Sometimes you got 60 seconds to share the gospel. Can you say the gospel in 60 seconds or less? Sometimes you got 60 minutes. Sometimes you got longer than that. On, on Saturday, I was sharing the gospel with an individual for over two hours. I didn't really have time for that, but I, I need time for that, and I need to make time for that, right? Because that's the priority. That's why we're here. We need to be casting that gospel nuts. What God does with that, that's, that's his business, right? Our business is to be throwing the net out there. The Lord's business is to do what he does with it. That's God's divine plan, his strategy, his mission in reaching the lost is you. I think every Sunday I say something along the lines of, we are called to saturate, we want to saturate Barry and Allegan County with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How is that going to happen? Through you. Right? Through you. But thankfully, we don't have to do it alone. A follower of Jesus Christ works with others. A follower of Jesus Christ teams up with others. Peter had his partners. He had James and John to help him pull in the fish. He couldn't do it alone. Uh, he had his business partners. And I believe in the great business of catching men and women and children for Jesus. Praise God we don't work alone. It's, it's, it's a group effort, right? It's a group effort. Let's just pretend an imaginary a young man named Justin. And Justin is very far from Christ. Justin is lost in his sins. But a friend at school invites Justin to come to church. And praise God he does. And when he comes to church, he's, he's warmly greeted by the welcome team. And then he goes to Sunday school, and at Sunday school, he's, again, warmly welcomed. Everyone tries to get to know him and reach out to him. They, they ask him if he has a Bible. They give him a Bible. They, they pray with him, and they ask him if he has any, any, anything going on in life that they could pray about. And, you know, and th that goes on for a while. And then the youth group has, uh, let's just say, some kind of big event, maybe something called, I don't know, Reverb, right, coming up in November, I believe. And reverb is the big, big, big thing that happens in Kalamazoo, yes? Where hundreds and hundreds of teenagers come and they bring in uh, worship teams and fun games and uh, a speaker who preaches the Word of God. And so Justin goes to, to reverb and uh, he hears the songs, he plays the games, he sees a skit that maybe dramatizes the gospel and he hears someone preach the gospel and praise the Lord, the Spirit does a work in his heart, he sees his sin, he comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And come to find out, and this, this happens over, I don't know, a three, six-month period or whatever, that all that time that some friends and youth group and some other people in the church have been praying for Justin. And I just illustrate that to say, that's a team effort, right? That's a team effort. I think of 1 Corinthians 3 where it says, Paul, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered. But what? God gave the increase. That's a team working together in God's field. We are co-laborers, and God's field is all around us. 
and we have the joy of working together, encouraging one another, praying for one another, training and equipping one another, uh, that we might work alongside one another to help win the lost. A follower of Christ works with other transformed sinners. And of course, the Lord is behind it all. We work together, but the Lord gets the credit and the Lord gets the glory. Now the last one is this. And this one might just be the hardest hitting one. And quite frankly, it's the one I'm most excited about. But a follower of Jesus Christ throws everything down to follow him. I get that from verse 11. It says, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Man, that's, that's incredible. These fishermen just had the catch of the century, right? And fishermen, I know you guys like to tell your stories. This, this is the story that would go down in infamy, right? I mean, this <laughs> is incredible. But what do they do? They left everything. They left the fish, the boats, their career, their safety, their comfort, everything. They left everything to follow the Lord. They're not the only ones who do this. As, you, as we make our way through Luke, we'll see others who do it right, right in our own, our own chapter, chapter 5, verse 28, actually. Just quickly, if you want to see that, uh, speaks about Jesus calling Levi, and it says uh, Levi was sitting at the tax booth in verse 27, chapter 5, and Jesus looked at him and said, follow me. And what's it say in Luke 5, 28? It says, leaving everything, he rose and followed him. You, you see that again and again and again through the Scriptures. The following Christ means leaving everything. It means a wholehearted devotion to Him. And this, this is staggering because, again, we live in a world where everything revolves around you, right? Protect yourself and promote yourself and preserve yourself and, and comfort yourself. And in the midst of all that, Jesus comes in counterculture and He says, No, leave yourself, leave everything and follow me. And many people say they, that they want to follow Jesus, but instead of following Jesus wholeheartedly, they, they, they try and bring everything with them. And just, just imagine that. It's, it's humorous to think about. Imagine Peter, James, and John. They, they hear the call to, to follow him and be fishers of men. And so instead of leaving the boats and the fish there, they start lugging that around them everywhere they go. Can you imagine that? Imagine Peter, James, and John just walking through the Genesaret uh, area, uh, the, the region of Galilee, and, and pulling with them those boats and that, the, the fish are starting to stink and rot and just constantly telling the story about that. Can, can you imagine how ridiculous that is? How foolish that is? To try and follow Jesus but hang on to everything in this world at once? And I hope you see how ludicrous it is, and I hope the Spirit's working in your life to see that we do that. We do that. We, we try and follow Jesus, but hang on to all this other stuff. We try and follow Jesus, but hang on to our own ambitions, our own pleasures, our own comforts, our own idols. And it's foolish. 
The scriptures are teaching that you can't follow Jesus and stay the same. You can't follow Jesus and keep your life the way that it was. Jesus changes everything. Amen? And Jesus demands all from us. Jesus demands complete surrender. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Here's how I want to say it this morning. This is the title of the message this morning is this. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means reckless abandonment. Reckless abandonment. And what, what do I mean by that? I, I mean as followers of Jesus Christ, you should give yourself unreservedly, give yourself unrestrainedly to the cause and the glory of Jesus Christ, even in the face of danger, even in the face of concern and maybe consequences. Because again, think about if they catch all that fish, that's a lot of money for them, and they leave it there to rot. And for people to look at that, that looks like it's what? That's kind of reckless. It looks like reckless abandonment, right? And that's because it is. That's the call to follow Christ. The fall to follow Christ is to give yourself unreservedly to Jesus without concern for the consequences, without concern for the danger. Being a follower of Jesus is to say, as Elizabeth Elliot said many years ago, that I have one desire now, and I hope this is a desire of all of us here. She says, I have one desire now. It's this, to live a life of reckless abandon for the Lord, putting all of my energy and strength into it. Amen? Is that what the Spirit is, is, is pulling on your heart with? This to say, in, in light of who Jesus is, he's, he's so gracious and He's sovereign, right? And He's holy and we see He's powerful. We have nets bursting and, and boats sinking and that kind of truth should compel you to say, I will follow Jesus with every fiber of my being. I will do so unreservedly. I don't care the danger. I don't care the consequences. It is about Christ and Christ alone. It should stir in your hearts this deep, all-consuming ambition to follow Jesus Christ. It should make you want to sing with every fiber of your being that I have decided to follow Jesus put it very bluntly, Jesus is awesome. I mean, he's really awesome. We were living our hell-bound lives, and Jesus took initiative to save us. Jesus doesn't need us. He created everything. He sustains everything. He's, he's sovereign over all, but yet he chooses to use us as tools in his hands. I don't know why, but he does. It's his grace, and we're unworthy sinners, and Jesus is holy and holy and holy, but yet he says, don't be afraid. I'm going to use you. I'm going to work through you. Man, that's incredible. What a Savior. And God, forgive us, but we often lose sight of this, do we not? Don't we often get, get caught up in, into the tyranny of the urgent? We get caught up into our own lives, our own ambitions, our own purposes, our own demands, our own dreams, our own kingdoms. And again, just quite frankly, what I often need, and I know what you need, is you need to be rescued from yourself. You need to, to say it another way, fall out of love with yourself. And we love ourselves, don't we? We love ourselves to death. I would say the greatest enemy 
to following Christ is we love ourselves too much. And by that I mean we love our own dreams, our own desires, our own ambitions too much, because reality is if you loved yourself, you would follow Christ. Because he's the greatest thing for you. And his purposes, his dreams, his desires, his kingdom, man, it's way better than anything you can dream or think or imagine. And we need to fall out of love with ourselves and we need to be centered on Jesus, be arrested and transformed by his grace, his power, his holiness, his word. Orangeville Baptist Church, I cannot even begin to tell you how much I have prayed this week, groaned this week, that the Lord would do for us what he did in Luke 5. You know, birds, nets bursting and boats sinking. I've, might sound weird to you or silly to you, but I'm just trying to share my heart with you. I've been praying a lot all week long that just as he made the, the nets to burst and uh, the boats to sink, that he would make our walls begin to bulge Amen. and that he would make our floors groan <laughs> and our parking lot crack under the weight of young and old, new followers, hungering and thirsting after the word of God. I don't know if God in his grace will choose to do that. He, he blows where he blows. The Lord is the Lord of the harvest, but I do know this. He will never do that if we don't treasure Jesus. And he will never do that if we don't take Jesus at his word and if we don't turn from our sin and if we're not telling others about Jesus and teaming up to work together and throwing everything down for Jesus, he's, he's not going to do that. You see, again, Jesus is calling us to reckless abandon and, and I, I don't know how to say this to you, to get this across to you, but we don't have time to waste. Are you paying attention to the news and what's going on around us? Our world is hurting. Our world is desperate. Our world is scared. Our world is full of anger. Our world is traveling light speed down the highway to hell. What's the antidote to that? The antidote to that is in view of the awesome worth and majesty and, wor and, and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ that we give ourselves wholeheartedly with reckless abandon to him and seek to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other antidote. That's the antidote. Now is not the time to be silent. There's a lot of Christians who are being silent. Now is not the time to be afraid now is not the time to be grumbling and complaining and criticizing and worrying. Now is not the time for casual Christianity that costs nothing and accomplishes nothing. I believe apathy and complacency and indifference and spiritual drowsiness have lulled the church to sleep. And texts like Luke 5 are a wake-up call. Are you a follower of Jesus this morning? 
And I don't mean you go to church a little bit, you read the Bible a little bit, you pray a little bit, you put a little bit of money in the offering plate. If we had an offering plate, it's back there. But that's not what I mean. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? I mean, are you following Jesus with all of your life? Are you treasuring him? Are you taking him at your word, at his word? Are you telling others about him? Are you following him no matter the cost, wherever he leads you, no matter how countercultural, no matter how it might go against common whatever experience and knowledge, you're willing to follow him? You know, we're, we're working on our three-year ministry action plan, right? We're at the end of our first three-year ministry action plan. We got 2022 through 24 to be thinking about. And as we met with Ken Floyd, our consultant, he challenged us to say, the last three years have been easy for us as a church. It's been easy to do what we've done the last three years. You might not feel that way, but what he means by that is to say, it's easy compared to what's coming. And that the next three, four, five, six years for our church is going to be hard. It's going to be way harder than it has been. And I hope that doesn't alarm you. That excites me. Because I read a text like Luke 5 and I see what, who Jesus is and it really excites me. <laughs> I know. I'm weird. But you're stuck with me for now. Deal with it, huh? <laughs> but I read texts like Luke chapter 5 and man, I get excited and I start to dream big. And I, I dream big because, because I see a God who is awesome. <laughs> and that my plans are not too big, they are too small. I read about a Jesus and his incredible power and his grace, his sovereignty and his holiness, and it compels me to dream big and to be driven to do big things for him because I, I don't want to walk through life trying to live for Jesus and pulling the fishing boat over my shoulder, right? I don't want that to be me. I want to live for him with reckless abandon, no more playing church, no sitting on the sidelines, watching the world pass by. The, the challenge here is to follow Jesus with reckless abandon and work with all his might and his spirit to see Orangeville Baptist Church burn as bright and as hot as possible on this side of glory. We are to be fishers of men and women and children. We are to be a disciple-making factory that is building strong disciples who go and make more disciples. The way I want to say it is this, that we are to be a people who forsake every earthly ambition for in favor of one eternal aspiration to see disciples made and to see churches multiplied for the glory and cause of Jesus Christ all across Berry and Allegan County. Do you want that? Is that your heartbeat this morning? We're very, very, very glad for all who are here this morning. But I want you to know that what's not allowed here at Orangeville Baptist Church is casual Christianity. Let's put to death casual Christianity. Let's, like the disciples, leave everything and follow after him. And we don't have to do it alone. We praise God for that. We are a church united by his spirit, united by his word, and we have uh, this exciting opportunity before us to saturate Barry and Allegan County with strong, mature followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe with all my heart uh, that the church is God's plan A and there is no plan B. And I love the church. And I believe the church is the most unstoppable force in the universe with one caveat, when it's working right. 
And often the church isn't working right because we're inwardly focused and we're complaining and we're criticizing and we're thinking about our own needs and we need to be outwardly focused. Focused on the cause and the kingdom and the purpose that we've been given in the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is the most unstoppable force in the universe when each member is fully following the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Luke 5. That's the challenge that's there. Reckless abandonment for his cause. And if you're wondering how you can plug in and, and, and be a part of this, man, there's, there's, there's lots of ways, but September 26th, you don't want to miss that Sunday. That's, that's a big Sunday for us. We're going to fill this uh, out there in the foyer and kind of down the hallway with all these 21, 22, 23, I don't know, it keeps growing, uh, the number of like booths that we're going to have out there. It's kind of our ministry fair, and we want everyone here serving. We want everyone here to believe, belong, become, build, right? And that's what that's about. We want everyone here to be plugging in right? No casual Christianity, no sitting on the sidelines. September 26th, that's a big Sunday for us to, to get involved. And what we'll have on that day is also a spiritual gift survey, a spiritual growth assessment. Uh, we'll have a ministry skills and inventory. And again, we'll have 20-something booths for you to walk around and think and pray and consider, hey, hey, maybe I can get involved there, or maybe I can serve there, maybe I can help there. And a lot of those booths are going to be focused on how we can have reckless abandon in Berrien, Allegan County for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you don't want to miss that Sunday. That's, that's a big Sunday uh, for us as we seek to drive forward in this way. So just that final question, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Jesus is calling you to follow him, and he's calling you to take him at his word, to treasure him, to turn from your sin, to tell others about him, uh, to work with others, and to drop everything with reckless abandon. Will you answer his call? Can you say this morning, I will follow Jesus? In fact, we're a little bit crazy this morning. We're going we're gonna to sing that song, just, just one stanza, because we have communion this morning. It's kind of transitioning into communion Bear with me. I'm going to be reckless and lead you in singing uh, just, just for a few seconds. So we're just going to do that chorus, I have decided to follow Jesus. We know that, right? If you don't, you'll catch on to it. It's not hard. I don't know how quick they are back there. Maybe they can throw it up there super quick if I talk long enough. But if, if we will just stand up for a moment, and we're just going to sing that together, I have decided to follow Jesus. <clears throat> I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Amen. You may be seated. As we have the Lord's Supper, uh, Hopefully everyone has one of these on their seats. Is there anyone who needs one of these? Remember, this has the, the juice in the bottom and, and the little wafer or piece of bread on the, on the top. As we think about communion, I just again would direct your attention to Luke 5, verse 8, where, uh, Jesus, uh, or where Peter says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And then just think of Jesus' response, Do not be afraid. And as we think of the Lord's Supper uh, and this truth that Jesus loves sinners and Jesus came to rescue sinners, uh, that, that that's what this symbolizes. 
uh, that this, this little cup with the juice uh, symbolizes the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who sacrificed and shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. There is no forgiveness of sin apart from the shedding of blood. And Jesus was our sinless Savior, our sinless substitute. And that's why he's able to say in this text, don't be afraid. The mercy seat, the mercy of Christ. And then uh, the little wafer on the top represents the body of Christ and how he again gave his, his body, he gave his life, the ultimate sacrifice. We think of Romans 5 where it says, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And, and he, he gives his life uh, that we might draw near to him. So, so the Lord's Supper for Christians, for believers, is a time of comfort. It's a time of mercy. It's a time of being reminded of the precious blood of Christ and his great grace and his love. Uh, and so just let those words kind of echo in your mind as we think about this truth of do not be afraid. Trust in him. But I also need to give a warning as we think about, about the Lord's Supper that the scriptures are very clear that the Lord's Supper is for those who are trusting in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and by faith alone. And the scriptures give a very clear warning that if you are still lost in your sins, if you know in your heart of hearts you're not trusting in him, that, that your sins have not been forgiven, or if you're in sin and you're refusing to repent for that sin, don't partake in this. Because that's to try and trample the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God will have none of that. You drink judgment on yourself if you drink this unbelievingly, if you drink this unrepentantly. That's a stern warning, isn't it, uh, from the Scriptures? Uh, so we're going to have a few moments for just bowing our heads uh, and, and asking the Lord to search our hearts if there's sin in our life that needs to be re repented of. Maybe right now you know what that is. You just need to go to the throne of grace right now and repent, repent from that. Maybe right now, for the first time, go to faith in Christ, recognize with Peter that you are that sinner, and call out to him to save you. Look to him and be saved. We'll give you a minute or so to, or two to do that. And then Josiah will lead us uh, in a prayer of confession.
Father, I ask that you'd give us the humility to be able to look inward right now um, and to recognize uh, who we are, right, the way we're living. Um, God, when we look at who you are and, and what you've asked us to do, we just like Peter say, we are undone. Um, for we have fallen very short um, of, of being the kind of servants that you uh, would like us to be. And that we can be, God. You've been so gracious to us to um, save us from ourself, ourselves. Um, thank you, God, for rescuing me from my lust and um, pride and bitterness. Um, thank you for rescuing each one here who has made that decision to leave leave their nets to follow you and Lord, I just want to come before you in for this whole church family. Um, first of all, to just ask you to forgive us for our apathy. Because we have treasured ourselves far more than we have treasured the king of the world. And I, I just want to ask you forgiving us, to forgive us for... Um, Pursuing fun, um, family, fishing, are, are the things that we enjoy when you are standing there beckoning us to a dying world who need to hear what you've already given us and we've accepted. And we are hypocrites to not tell people when we, when we say that we've received eternal life in you. So thank you for, our patience, for your patience with us, for standing there on the shore year after year as, as we constantly are just, we're prone to wander, God. Um, and you've just been so, so patient. Um, help us to continue to follow you better. Also, God, ask that you'd help us to treasure you. Um, life is not about me, Father, and I need to get my eyes off of myself onto you. Um, thank you for your, your grace, your sovereignty, your holiness. Um, help us not to abuse your grace. Um, help us to trust you with your sovereignty. And help us to be in awe of your holiness and to worship you for it. Um, as Andrew has shared with us this morning, help us to, to trust your word. Help us to treasure you. Help us to turn from our sins and, and to tell others. Um, we all know people who are dying spiritually. Um, in their sin and who need to hear the gospel. And I think it is, I think it's a shame that we've seen so few people come to know Christ here at this church. Um, I'm, I'm not saying that any one of us is responsible for that, but Lord, we, we want to, we want to be fishers of men.
and we want to follow you, and we have prioritized ourselves over you and over that mission. So please help us. Help us to be faithful disciples. And again, we are so thankful that you are a gracious, patient king. Because otherwise we would not we would not be able to even continue in following you. And we just ask um, you to forgive us. Um, please forgive me for for my own apathy. And pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Josiah. The Lord's Supper is a time of confession. It's also a time of celebration. Uh, and just celebrating the Lord Jesus Christ. And they, again, he is our, our treasure, our hope, our awe, our everything, uh, and how he uh, sacrificed for our sins. And so uh, we're going to take a moment now to bow our heads in prayer. And what I want you to pray about this time is, is praise Jesus. Just take a minute or two to, to praise him, to adore him, uh, to be in awe of him. And then in a moment or two, uh, Bill will lead us in prayer. Lord, we do come before you today, Lord, and um, we're so thankful. Um, you are a gracious God, Lord, and as we come to the Lord's Supper, Lord, and we, we recognize what you've done for us, Lord, and in lieu of Pastor Andrew's preaching, Lord, how can we not, Lord, how can we not become fishers of men and leave things behind? Um, you have done so much for us, Lord, um, at Calvary. You paid all, paid for all the sins of the world, Lord, including mine and all those in the room that have given their lives over to you. And Lord, we're just so thankful. We're thankful for what you've done in this church. We're thankful for um, this, the salvations that have come. Um, we're thankful for the, the beauty of creation, Lord, that you've given. And uh, Lord, it's just a, it's an amazing um, that we can follow you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to be fishers of men, that we have the opportunity to follow your word, um, that you've been so gracious to us, you've given that opportunity to each one of us, Lord, and how can we not, Lord, and, and once again, in lieu of what you've done for us. And uh, as we take this Lord's Supper, we remember um, you and Calvary, Lord, and what you suffered on the cross for us. Um, we are so thankful and uh, joyful that you had a plan that included us. We thank you and praise you for what you do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Bill.
So it says in the scriptures, in fact, give me a moment, I'm just going to open this. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. But the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. 